Amen. I texted Julie yesterday and I said, you don't have any idea how excited I am that you are doing that song. So that was, that was absolutely wonderful. And I want to tell you guys what my prayer is tonight. It's a pretty simple prayer, actually. It is that somehow amidst all of the noise, all of the fun, all of the chaos, all of the excitement, all of the irritation, all of the food, all of the family, all of the presents that you may be opening tonight, all of the presents that you may still have to wrap tonight, all of the tricycles and trampolines that I hope you recruited some help with that still need to be assembled amidst everything that is Christmas Eve, it is for us to be able to stop and somehow, by God's grace, just get a glimpse of how beautiful the name of Jesus really is. Because I'm going to tell you plainly, there's nothing like it. And there's no one like Him. So, to help you figure that out, I'm going to start with a super spiritual, really heavy set of deep, deep theological questions. Starting with question number one. How many of you went out and bought a real Christmas tree this year? Would you raise your hand if you're a real Christmas tree? Okay, a lot of real Christmas tree people. All right, how many of you, and you know where I'm going with this, notwithstanding the fact that you are massively outnumbered, are willing to acknowledge that you have a fake Christmas tree and know this, I'm coming to your defense. Good, that's good. Wow, a lot more fake tree people than I thought. That's fantastic. All right, how many of you, at the risk of judging your fake tree neighbor that you've just discovered is sitting next to you, would say that for you, maybe not for them, I mean, wink, wink, actually, for them too, but, but at least for you, because of the family you grew up in and your tra- traditions you maintain, whatever, I mean, for you, it just, like, it wouldn't be Christmas if you didn't have a real tree. Would you just own that? Yeah, some of you are honest. Okay, how many of you would have put your hand up, but you've got a fake tree neighbor sitting next to you, and it would have been <laughs> awkward, right? Like, all right, last question. Fake tree people. How many of you are fake tree people by conviction because... You have analyzed this and you have come to the conclusion that everything with the possible exception of one thing that I'm going to mitigate significantly here in a moment is in favor of having a fake tree. Would you, would you own that? You good with that? All right, so here's my dilemma. I'm a fake tree guy, as you've probably surmised, who lives in a real tree family. And... Uh, And man, I mean, like, just one of the life principles, if I can just share this with you, okay, it's good for marriage, it's good for leadership, pick your battles wisely. This is just not one that I'm willing to pick. And so what this means for me, practically speaking, is that every year, Thanksgiving weekend typically, we all move heaven and earth in our family to coordinate a night, a day, a time when we're all available to then get into the family van and to go down to Home Depot because in our family... Not only is it not Christmas if you don't have a real tree, it's not Christmas if you don't get it at Home Depot. So if you got your tree at Publix, God bless you, but Santa is not coming to your house, all right? (laughs) Now you know. So we go to Home Depot, and we look at what feels like 150 trees. Really, it's probably 15 to 20 trees. And what do we do with those trees? All the real tree people know. We compare and contrast these trees. Can I look at this one, Dad? How does that compare to number three? How does that compare to number 17? Can we pull back and look at number one again? So now I'm like digging through the stack to try to find number one. Why do you have to do this? Because unlike every fake tree you've ever seen, every real tree you've ever seen is imperfect. Just know that. So finally, we settle on the least imperfect real tree that we can find. We take it up to the counter. We pay 50 bucks a year for this thing. 
Then we give it to the guy and he cuts off the little bit of the stump, you know, so it can draw water. And, and then he puts it through this con magical contraption that wraps it in this plastic webbing. And then he puts it on the van for us and then he ties it down meticulously so Home Depot doesn't get sued if it rolls off the van and causes an accident. And then I tip the guy like 10 bucks because I don't know. I mean, what do you tip a guy that does all that? Is that too cheap? I mean, is that, I don't know. I just give him 10. So now I'm at 60. Keep counting. We're not done. So we drive home, tree on roof, get into the driveway, and the same thing happens every year. It's like somebody throws a bomb in our van. Everybody in the van scatters and disappears, and then it's me and the tree I didn't want. I don't want it, because I know what comes next. I cut the tree down. I take the tree around the back of the house because eventually that's where it comes into the house. I put the tree in the Christmas tree stand. And then what do I do, real tree people? I screw those stupid screws. And then I stop and I look and I screw them in a little more. And I stop and I look and then I kind of move it. And then I screw it a little bit more until finally I have what I at least think is a perfectly straight real tree. Because unlike every fake tree that's automatically perfectly straight, you got to do stuff like this. But since I have learned by experience that really my word is not the one that matters, I then go in the house and I find my wife and I bring her out and I go through that same kind of exercise. What do you think? Is it straight? And we adjust, we adjust, and then I have her sign a written waiver, which I have notarized, <laughs> saying it is in fact straight because I'm not doing this twice. Then I go in the house and I have to put plastic on the floor. Why do I do that? Because real trees, unlike fake trees, need water. And sometimes, as we learned five years ago or so, the tree stand breaks and then the tree falls and the water goes everywhere and it's a major bummer. So I put that down and then I come out and I get my real tree and I pick it up very carefully so as not to disturb the base because I don't want to have to do that whole screw it in a thing again and then I go sideways in the door with my real tree and then I set it in the middle of the plastic and then I cut off all the plastic webbing and I disentangle it mostly from the top of the tree which is the most irritating piece and then I remove that and then I fluff the tree down and I make it and then I have to twist it and turn it and try to find the most presentable angle from which to look at the tree Time out. Do you know what the most presentable angle is from which to look at any fake Christmas tree? It's a very simple answer. It's whichever one you're looking at it from. <laughs> Think about it. So I get it set. I get my wife. She looks, says, yep, that's the best one. She signs a second waiver. I file that with the court as well. Then I have to light it. Oh, heavens. I have to light this thing. So I've got to go to the shed. I unload the shed. I get the Christmas containers out. I reload the shed. I bring the Christmas containers back to the back of the house. And then I go through the Christmas containers and I get out all of these lights from last year's tree that were removed with no small measure of violence, I admit. But, but I saved them. And notwithstanding the fact that I have meticulously rolled them up and I've put them in Ziploc gallon-sized baggies because I so despise this. They get all, some demon has entangled them yet again. <laughs> so then I've got to get them all out. And I, I mean, I'm getting tired. Just, this is depressing. I have to stretch them out across the floor and then I have to plug them in. And 40% of them every year do not work. I keep track of these things. So now I have to go to Target, 50 more dollars. Now I'm at 110 if you're keeping track. Then I come home. 
And because I'm OCD, I mean, I really take my time. I, I mean, it's going to be lit. It's going to do it right. So I light the tree, and then I call my wife in for waiver number three. And I say, you know, what do you think? Does it look like it's perfectly lit? And she says, well, I think that maybe we need another. And that means I've got to go back to Target, 15 more dollars, finish it off, fill it with water, and then the final part of the process is I stand at the sink for 30 minutes trying to scrub the stuff, this, the sap from my hand. It gets all like in the hair in your arms. It's unbelievable, man. Like when it comes to adhesives, it's Gorilla Glue, Super Glue, Pine Tree Sap. It's incredible. It's incredible. Okay. So this year, I put together two of these fake trees. Oh, oh wait. Six and a half hours, $125 real tree. This year, I put together two of these trees. That one and that one. I helped. All in to assemble the tree that is perfectly shaped. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. And then, and this is when I heard the angelic choir sing, I took the plug, the one plug, just one, and I plugged it in the wall, and phew, it looked like that. <laughs> Minus the decorations. It's magical. It's amazing. And all you real tree people right now are thinking one thing, because it's all you have. This is it. And you can buy this in the store. You're saying, oh, but it doesn't smell like a real tree. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It smells like six and a half hours of time at the busiest time of year and about $125 a year to me. So there, boom. <laughs> I'm out. All right. So at least half of you by now are thinking, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas, right? Here's my answer. Absolutely not a thing. It has zero, nada, nothing at all to do with Christmas. And I kind of want to gently nudge you to consider that for a second. Because I think a lot of the things that are fun, a lot of the things that we enjoy, a lot of the things that make this season rich, yeah, you know what, in the final analysis, doesn't matter. Real tree, fake tree, no tree at all? Oh, what a rebel. Hey, you know what? When it comes to Christmas, there is one tree and one alone that matters. And it's the one that stood outside of the ancient city walls of the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, guys. On which not some string of lights was dangled and hung, but on which... Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, in love for you, was hung. And to do what? To take into Himself and to extinguish at the expense of His own life all of your darkness. All of your darkness. And bottom line, the only thing that matters when it comes to Christmas or any other day or moment of the year is that you have faith in Him. That's it. So maybe you're thinking, all right, well then why do you call him the light of the world? Well, I just, I take that from him. I mean, it's not a clever little Christmas tree with lights kind of thing that I'm comparison and making to the cross. I, I think it is working out kind of cleverly, but it's, it's really his idea. 
Jesus Christ in John 8, verse 12, says, I am the light of the world. And here's what he's doing in making that statement, because it's, it's pretty profound. He's going to the Bible, and he's starting with page one, and he's working his way through every page, every paragraph, every line, and he's taking out of it everything that light in the Bible is. And then very systematically, figuratively speaking, of course, he's laying this out before us on a table, and he's saying, guys, if you want to know who I am, why I was born into this world on Christmas, what I came to do, what I offer you, look at this. I'm everything that light is. I'm the light of the world. The light. Not A. Just one. And he's not hiding. So what is light in the Bible? Well, as you begin to open the Bible, like you look at page one, one of the things you learn right out of the gate is that light is the creative gift of God. What, what do I mean by that? I mean, what is the first line in the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but what kind of an earth did he create? Was it a finished product? Was it, did he go wham and it was all done? No, but he could have, which is kind of curious, isn't it? Why didn't he do that? He created a world that among many other things was dark until the first recorded words of God are, were spoken, which are let there be light. Why did he do that? Why not a completed product? Because he knew that I would walk in darkness. He knew that darkness was in me. He knew that I'd do dark things and dark things would occur to me, that I would live in a world full of darkness, and that I would need to know from the first page of the Bible where light comes from. But not just light. I mean, the second thing you learn is that God has a light that is power over the darkness. He makes the sun to rule. That's, the, that's a powerful word over the day. He makes the moon to rule over the night. It's a, it's a word that dominates, if you will. And those things are just emblems of the kind of light that in Christ He brings into our lives. Light that rules over the darkness of our heart, dispels it, heals it, removes it. And as we take it up in our own lives then, having given way to it by faith, and we bring it into our homes, it dispels darkness there, our offices there, our schools there, our city, and our world which needs light. I think the third thing you learn, and again, page one, maybe two, is that light follows darkness. Now think about that. He creates a world that's dark. He speaks, let there be light, there's light. So it follows the darkness. But not only that, in every one of the days in the creation story, how does it end? There was evening, that's darkness, and there was morning, that's light. The first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day, six times, so that we don't miss it. That's not the way that we live our lives. You know, we wake up in the morning and it's light, and we move through the light of the day, and we're going toward evening. We're always moving from light to darkness, from light to darkness, from light to darkness. And God's coming and saying, listen, I'm offering you a different pattern. In this life, you will experience darkness, but through faith in Christ, let me tell you how it ends. It ends in infinite, beautiful, transcendent, unending light, and the knowledge of that will pull you through a whole lot of dark things. Light in the Bible represents that which is pure. Think of your heart now. Darkness, that which is impure. Light represents that which is true. Darkness, that which is untrue. Light represents that which brings the favor of God. Darkness? Yeah, not so much. Light represents wisdom and understanding. Darkness, foolishness, 
And ignorance, light brings joy, darkness brings sorrow, but perhaps most profoundly, at least for the Christmas story, light is associated with the presence of God in the Bible. And nowhere, I think, is that more profoundly seen than in the story, the narrative of the birth of Jesus and all of the prophetic statements leading up to it. Did you hear what Matt said here, what he wrote or what he read earlier that Isaiah wrote eight centuries before the birth of Jesus? How did it begin? Because it speaks of the coming birth of the one who is the light of the world in terms of light coming in into darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. What about the shepherds? You know their story. If you've watched that Peanuts cartoon as a part of your Christmas movie regimen, you know, your routine and tradition each year, you probably know the story in the King James Version. Where are they? They're out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night until what? Until, lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and then the glory of the Lord did what? Because it's what light does. It shone round about them. And then, according to the King James, they were sore afraid, or to put it in more modern English, they were terrified. And you say, well, why were they terrified? Well, I mean, an angel just appeared to them, so, you know, that's probably part of it, but I think that's the least part of it. I think that's the least part of it, and here's why. Because when you see what the light of God really looks like, the glory of the light of the One who is described as a consuming fire, and when you see yourself in that light, you see yourself very differently than you do in the light of your friends or in the light of your family or in the light of our culture or in the light of everything else going around us. I mean, by that light, listen, hey, we're all pretty good. When we see ourselves in the light of the glory of God, who is holy, holy, holy. Oh man, it's a different picture. And honestly, it's terrifying and legitimately so. But what is the word of the angel? Because it's the same word to us. He comes to the shepherds and they're terrified and he says what? Fear not, and here's why. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And who did what? Who hung on a tree, having taken into Himself all of the darkness, dark deeds, the whole deal, of everyone who comes to Him and says, hey, um, I've got a problem I can't fix. I have this. And I don't have a solution. He's the solution. What about the Magi? They follow the star, do they not? Or at least they followed something that's described as a star. I don't actually think it was a star. That's just my personal theory. And the reason I don't think it was a star is because it led them to the house that Jesus was in. And I've stood outside my house and I've looked up at the stars and I've tried to figure out, is that star over my house or my neighbor's house or one of your houses in Hollywood? I have no idea. I think it was a manifestation of God's light that drew them to the Christ child And I think they came by faith. And when they came, they laid themselves and their treasures down at His feet, and rightly so. For He is the Creator. He is the Sustainer. He is the Redeemer. He is the, not a, the light of the world. And in that sense, the hope of the world. And they knew what He came to do. And you say, well, how how do you know they knew what He came to do? Did you talk to them? Did you? No. They brought myrrh, guys. Myrrh is a burial spice. It's like an embalming solution, if you will. Why would you bring that? 
to a newborn child. If you didn't know that what He was born to do was to take into Himself all of your darkness and extinguish it at the expense of His life with His glorious unending light. Listen, Jesus is the light of the world. And when He says that, He means all of this and far more than I can unpack together with you tonight. But when it comes to Christmas, I don't care if you have a real tree or a fake tree. I mean, you know, I'd rather have a fake tree. I think that's pretty clear at this point. There's only one tree that matters. It's the one on which the light of the world was hung. And there's only one thing that matters. One thing. And that is that you package up your darkness, you own it, and you bring it to the one who alone authentically can take it from you and free you from it. So there you go. Think on that amidst the trampoline creation. And Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that there is hope and that there is light. And we thank You that we, by Your goodness and by Your grace, know His name. And it is beautiful. It's Jesus. Lord, we thank You that You have not abandoned us to darkness, but instead, You offer us Your light. And I pray that by faith we might, like the shepherds, Lord, bask and bathe in the light of the Savior. That we might bring to Him our darkness and be freed from it by the only One who can do that. And like the Magi, that we might bring our lives and lay them down at the feet of the One who alone is worth living for. So do these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.